If information is power, then what's misinformation? One possible answer is that it's, well, a lot like coronavirus, highly contagious, destructive, and with no known treatment or vaccine. Right now, both coronavirus and misinformation are spreading around the world at an alarming rate, and all we have to stop both from spreading are mitigation measures that require solidarity, resilience, and perhaps above all else, solid, reliable, vetted information. I'm John Finnegan, Dean of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. Just as there are remarkable people searching for solutions to coronavirus, there are remarkable people dedicated to understanding and stopping the pandemic spread of misinformation. You will meet them in this podcast. You will hear what they have to say about these questions. Where does misinformation come from? How does it spread? And what can we do about it? Today is May 8th, 2020, and this episode is called A Misinformation Pandemic. Alexa, what's misinformation? Misinformation is false or inaccurate information. Alexa, what is disinformation? Disinformation is false or misleading information that is spread deliberately to deceive. This is a subset of misinformation, which may also be unintentional. I'm Michael Joyce, host of this podcast, and that's what many of us think is the difference between misinformation and disinformation, a question of intent. I actually in the past have argued that when we think about misleading content online, sometimes this distinction isn't very useful. Dr. Kaylin O'Connor is a philosopher of science at UC Irvine and co-author of the book, The Misinformation Age. Often stuff that is disinformation and that someone made it intentionally to mislead later ends up getting shared by all sorts of people who don't know that it's false and aren't trying to mislead anyone. So these two things can kind of turn into each other online. Kaylin says that many of the people who create disinformation count on the fact that others will believe it and spread it. The further it spreads away from the source, the less it looks like a lie, and the better the chances are it will be adopted as, quote, truth. Not surprising when you consider a 2016 French and American study, which found that nearly 60% of links shared on social media had never been clicked open by the sharers. So how do they know if the links they are sharing lead to truthful information? But what is surprising, even to researchers like Tim Caulfield, a professor of health law and policy at the University of Alberta, is just how much misinformation about coronavirus is out there. Caulfield's been studying health misinformation for two decades. So I ask him, what is it about the coronavirus pandemic that has launched such a pandemic of misinformation? Obviously, incredibly complex, right, phenomenon, but I think there are a number of things that are relevant. One is the degree of uncertainty here. Whenever you have that uncertainty, uh, we as humans have a natural tendency to fill in the gaps. We fill in the gaps with conspiracy theories. We fill in the gaps with misinformation. A layer on top of that fear and the, the search for answers. Uh, layer on top of that nefarious individuals, and I don't call my calling them nefarious, you know, marketing products to try to take advantage of the situation, to exploit the situation for profit. And then, of course, there are individuals who are trying to exploit this situation for ideological gain. So those are just some of the factors that I think have led to or at least enhanced the spread of misinformation in this context. 
I asked him about the real-world impacts of the misinformation circulating around coronavirus. He mentioned many I suspected he would. Financial harms, physical harms, deaths, of course, as well as discrimination against some minorities and vulnerable groups. Then he threw in one I didn't see coming. I'm always concerned about the increase in noise, right? You know, one of the biggest problems with the spread of misinformation, it just adds to the chaotic information environment. And it is so chaotic right now. There's so much uncertainty. And that's one of the things that it's hard to measure, but it certainly seems to be the case. And when that happens, it makes it more difficult to get people to do the things that are going to benefit the community. You know, the the physical distancing, the staying at home, the, the responding to symptoms in a responsible manner. Uh, it becomes more difficult to to follow the advice from trusted sources. Trusted sources and uncertainty. You'll hear those words a lot in discussions about how misinformation gains a foothold. Here's Dr. Brian Southwell, a social scientist from RTI International, who teaches at Duke University. We've been studying the spread of rumors for a long time, and uh, we know that there are some elements that seem to encourage their spread. The first is a situation in which there's uncertainty. That uncertainty also matters for people if the stakes are high. Another element that matters um, that can either mitigate or can help fuel um, the situation involves the kind of information that's available from trusted sources. So if you've got a lack of clear and consistent information from trusted sources, um, that can really be a problem. Uh, And we certainly have all those elements now. The lack of trusted information creates a vacuum into which can flow all sorts of misinformation. Myths, like you can prevent the virus from spreading by microwaving your mail, drinking breast milk or disinfectant, or wrapping your body in cabbage and setting it on fire. Then there are the conspiracy theories that claim we have Bill Gates and 5G networks to blame for the pandemic. A Pew Research study last month found that about 30% of Americans think coronavirus was created, intentionally or accidentally, in the laboratory. Finally, there is the news. Consider some of these excerpts from Fox News and Rush Limbaugh's radio program that were compiled by The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Yeah, I'm dead right on this. The coronavirus is, is, is the common cold, folks. The sky is falling because we have a few dozen cases of coronavirus on a cruise ship. All the talk about coronavirus being so much more deadly doesn't reflect reality. It's milder than we thought. The fatality rate is going to drop. I'm not afraid of the coronavirus, and no one else should be that afraid either. It is being contained. And do you not think it's being contained? And the facts are actually pretty reassuring, but you never know it, watching all this stuff. By the way, this program has always taken the coronavirus seriously. False news has advantages. It is not bound by reality. Dr. Emily Varega is an associate professor at the University of Minnesota's Journalism School, where she researches health misinformation on social media. If you can promise me a, a cure that... I don't have to worry about going out and seeing my friends as long as I come home and drink pepper mixed with lemon juice. That's a a truth I want to believe. It's not true. So often when we're thinking about medical or health misinformation, scientists, people sharing accurate information are always bound by here's what is known and here's what's not, whereas people sharing false information can say whatever they want. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear. People sharing misinformation around COVID-19 are often looking for solutions, looking for explanations. 
that make this kind of crazy world a little bit more palatable. And looking for certainty in a very uncertain world, this information sometimes can give you that certainty or at least the illusion of it, because obviously it's not true. I think that we've uh, achieved all the different milestones that are needed. So the, gov the government, federal government, rose to the challenge, and this is a great success story. If it sounds too good to be true, it almost always is. That's tip number one of five from Gary Schweitzer on approaching news about coronavirus, or any medical news for that matter. Gary's been a healthcare journalist for over 45 years and has spent the past 14 years running the only website in the world that scrutinizes medical news on a daily basis. Here are his other four tips. Number two, never believe one story, one study, one expert. And tied in with that is number three, consider that expert source. Who stands to benefit from whatever news you're hearing? If you're not hearing from an independent source, be wary. My fourth tip, with any intervention, there are always trade-offs, always something you stand to gain, but also something you stand to lose. If harms are not being discussed, you're getting an incomplete discussion. And finally, in this real quick hitter list of five, my fifth tip, if you ever hear somebody talking about a simple test, and we're hearing a lot now about new tests, run for the hills because there is no such thing as a simple test. If you don't get your news from a source that explains the sensitivity and the specificity of a test, find another news source. It can get difficult to navigate public health recommendations when politics gets involved, According to polls by the Kaiser Family Foundation, NBC News, Gallup, and others, which, by the way, do have limitations and do need to be further validated, just how information about COVID-19 is interpreted can differ by political ideology. That's whether the information is true or false. In other words, people may be making decisions about things like social distancing and wearing a mask that are based on political affiliations or beliefs and not on the best available evidence. So that is especially concerning, that there is asymmetry in the response to messaging. Dr. Sarah Gallist is an associate professor at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. She studies the intersection of public health and public attitudes, in particular, the influence of politics and the media on that relationship. And I don't know that we're there yet. I don't want to say that we're there, but that is extremely concerning because, again, robust public action is required. And so should something like wearing a mask become attached to a partisan label, should the very notion of the public health enterprise be imprinted as something that's democratic or attached to a liberal worldview as opposed to a shared worldview, that can be really concerning when we look to the future. Another thing that can lead to misinformation, or at least confusion, is the rush to publicize both published and unpublished scientific studies. We saw this from the Oval Office last week, with an unpublished study on remdesivir being touted as, quote, quite good news and a, quote, new standard of care. This is sensitive territory because we clearly need more information to combat the virus, and many people are hoping such information will be a breakthrough. 
Again, here's science philosopher and author Kaylin O'Connor. Because scientists are working so fast and journalists are working so fast and information is traveling so fast, it might be something that's not entirely vetted and that is more likely to be reversed than normal. Like about what the um, fatality rate of COVID is, whether certain drugs work or don't work. These shoot around the internet and they're not typical misinformation, but they end up being wrong. And people are making choices on the basis of them, are basing their understanding of COVID on the basis of it. And they're really hard to claw back. More than 7,000 research papers have been written about the pandemic. According to a report published yesterday in The Economist, about half of those research papers have been released through what are called pre-print servers. Anyone can upload manuscripts to these online listings, and after minimal screening, but not peer-reviewed scrutiny, they're made public in a matter of hours. Some of these, after months of peer review, might go on to publication. Most won't. But even published papers can be retracted, like two from China, which found that airborne spread of coronavirus reaches further than previously thought. A Hong Kong newspaper article highlighting one of the studies was shared over 50,000 times. The very next day, the research was retracted. Again, Kaylin O'Connor. Someone might retract a scientific paper that's wrong, but the information from it is still bouncing around weeks afterwards, influencing people. In the middle of a pandemic, bombarded by bad news and bad information, it's easy to get pessimistic. But here's something that gave me some optimism. All the people I spoke with for this podcast thought deeply about possible solutions. Here's just a few of them, starting with journalism professor Emily Vrega. I would say that misinformation on social media is a problem, and it's going to be a problem. And it's especially a problem for something like COVID-19, where there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of desire for clear answers that probably don't exist yet. So to fix that, we need a community solution. And that means Individuals have to start feeling more comfortable trying to thoughtfully and compassionately correct misinformation when we see it. Again, Sarah Gallist of the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. I think, you know, listeners to this podcast who care about public health and are knowledgeable about public health can all do something. Flood the airways with correct information on social media in our own writing, our own speaking, with our colleagues, with our networks of friends. Because the antidote to misinformation is correct information, abundant correct information. And Brian Southwell, our social scientist from RTI International. We're all, under certain circumstances, vulnerable to misinformation. We all have a tendency to believe information at face value, particularly under duress. And the only reason I point that out is not to say we should just accept that as the status quo, but rather I think there's room for us to have a lot more empathy for our neighbors um, and family members than, than we're having sometimes. That call for empathy may sound discordant as we're inundated with misinformation, But it's absolutely spot on because we all want clear leadership and clear communication right now. And that desire does make us more susceptible to misinformation. At the end of February, former Surgeon General Vivek Morthy, who oversaw responses to Ebola and Zika epidemics, tweeted his tried and true principles for crisis communication. Here they are. Number one, be transparent and truthful. 
in good, bad, or uncertain times. Number two, be consistent. Number three, err on the side of sharing more, not less, with the public. Number four, lead with scientists and science, not politicians and politics. And number five, be compassionate and show empathy. Clearly, more than just advice for communicating in a crisis, but words to measure ourselves by and measure our leaders. This podcast is a production of the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. For more reliable information on COVID-19, we recommend visiting the CDC, WHO, and Minnesota Department of Health websites. You can also subscribe to this series, Health in All Matters, through Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review and a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Today is May 8th, 2020, and the number of confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide is roughly 4 million. Thanks for listening, and take good care of each other.